Don't think I will even ask you to make Jesus Lord of your life. That's the most preposterous thing I could ever tell you to do. Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Whether you serve him or not, whether you bless him, curse him, hate him, or love him, he is the Lord of your life because God has given him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus Christ every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. Some of you will bow out of the grace that has been given to you and others will bow because your kneecaps will be broken by the one who rules the nations with a rod of iron. But I'll not apologize for this God of the Bible. Brothers and sisters, all of you that might be hearing my voice right now, welcome to the For the King podcast, where we proclaim the edicts of the king, namely and chiefly that Yahweh reigns, baby. He reigns on high. Christ the king is seated on his throne right now. He's not waiting to receive a throne. Um, So appreciate you guys spending some time with us on the For the King podcast. We are continuing in our Gospel Scope series that Bryce and I have been doing. So uh, that would be my, my co-host here. So Bryce, you want to say hi, let everybody know you're here. Hello. Hi. What's up? Good. He's here and we're ready to get rocking and rolling. Um, so we've been finishing up the gospel scope series. I think we said last gospel scope that we were going to be done. Bryce gave me a great idea of a needed subject that we ought to cover before we move on from the scope of the gospel. And that would be the doctrine of vocation, um, how the God's good news to us, his goodwill towards mankind and sending his son applies to and redeems our vocation. So we're going to get into that today, um, exactly what vocation means. Um, so Bryce, can you kind of start us off with maybe some, you know, uh, some teaching on what exactly that word means, where it comes from, what's, what's the goal of the doctrine of vocation in the Christian life. Right. And this is something, yeah, we've talked about this before. You've brought this to my attention. Vocation is really something that was brought up by the reformers. So the, in, in Roman Catholicism, the, the whole mindset of serving God was done in the cloisters. Yeah. So the, this would be in the nunneries or in the monasteries that that was the chief and premier way that they could worship God was by rejecting a calling in life anywhere else outside the monastery. That was really your, your chief way to glorify God. And the reformer said that this is essentially a blasphemous thought that the, even the average man, the layman, the carpenter or the Mason, even they could worship and serve God faithfully and be holy themselves. So they came up with this doctrine uh, called vocation, which which essentially comes from the Latin word vocat or vocat, depending on what version of Latin you're wanting to use. Um, and it essentially, it literally just means calling, right? And this is something that um, Paul will bring up in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, live as you are called, right? Exactly. There's, there's a time for everything. There is a a season in which God has set us in. There is a vocation that God has given us as people uh, to live in. So vocation is essentially where God has called you. Are you a carpenter? Are you a mason? Are you an electrician? Are you an insurance agent? Do you deliver mail? Right. That's your, those are your vocations. It is your calling of God. Yeah. 
Yeah, even today in the sermon we heard, which is we're, we're going through Ecclesiastes, which is all about the idea of vocation and work. And our pastor this morning brought up um, in uh, chapter three, verse one, the word um, there's a time and a season for things can be more uh, accurately translated. There's a time and an appointed time for those times that God's giving. Um, so like calling can be thought of as your appointed time on earth, what you're appointed to do. And he made a great statement that if you're going to be appointed, that means there has to be an appointer, which would be God himself. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's what we mean when we're talking about vocation, when we're using that word it comes out of the reformation, it's a Latin word. All it means is calling. So as with many doctrines in God's word, um, we can always find most of, I mean, we, we can find almost any doctrine being uh, the stage being set in the first three chapters of Genesis. Um, so let's go there to see how God has created order, how he made things as we develop this biblical idea of vocation and how God's gospel applies to it. So um, there's this idea of order in the scriptures. God is giving the command to Adam and Eve to specifically Adam to lead out in this of ordering, taking dominion, keeping and guarding the garden and his wife. So um, Adam is to take a chaotic um, world, a chaotic overgrown jungle and turn it into a garden to create order out of it. So when, you know, God told Adam and Eve to, to do this task and specifically Adam, he was giving them a spiritual calling uh, through a physical command, right. To go into work and keep the garden. But there's also going to be a component, a component of faith that is going to accompany this. Adam had to do this by faith. He had to believe and trust in God to do this. Right. But it's also this, this really physical work of, of just literally creating a garden. Right. So um, sometimes in the Christian life, we want to overly um, ecclesiize things where the only, the only meaningful work you can do is um, the only meaningful work you can do is in the church, being a minister, uh, having, having some type of ministry, being a missionary, going overseas. That's the only kind of vocation that you can be called to. Besides that, everything else is kind of dirty and you're kind of getting your hands caught up uh, in civilian pursuits rather than the real war of Christianity. Right. Um, but Adam and Eve are given this physical task of working and keeping the garden with the metaphysical ramifications behind it of by faith, believing in God and trusting in him and extending his kingdom. Right. So if you put anything into order, so the, the principle I'm trying to extract here that's in Genesis is if you put anything into order with the heart of faith, whether, you know, whatever that might be, it is a physical and a metaphysical sacrifice pleasing to God. And this is most, this is very clearly said in Romans 12, one, where we're to offer our bodies as a physical sacrifice, sorry, as a spiritual sacrifice to God. We offer our physical bodies, the things we do, the obedience we give to God in this life towards God as a sacrifice that's pleasing in his sight. So what do you think about that, Bryce? How am I doing here? Yeah, I think that's uh, fundamentally a killer point. And this really puts to shame the um, cross conference. So yeah. David Platt and John <laughs> Piper say that you're either, there's two sorts of Christians, yeah. you're either a sender or yeah. a sent one. Yeah. So really the, the only good that a uh, blue collar worker is, is only for his money to give to a missionary. Yeah, exactly. That's essentially the only good that that man can do. So like Rocky's saying, it's an overly uh, ecclesi uh, ecclesiized. Is that the word that you used? Yeah, I don't it's know. An overly ecclesiized uh, <laughs> sort of idolatry, essentially. Yeah. And that even reminds me of 
And even in Genesis chapter four, uh, the parable, uh, I almost said the parable of Cain and Abel. What am I talking about? <laughs> the, the chapter with Cain and yeah. Abel. Yeah, there it is. Um, both of them bring sacrifices yes. to God according to their work, right? So it talks about how Cain brought to, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel was a shepherd. So he brought to God a sheep, mm-hmm. right? That was his offering. So yeah. you see even there the principle of God is accepting the calling that he's given you. Yes. Like he's given uh, Abel the calling of being a shepherd, so he accepts the sheep as an offering. Yeah. Right? Like that's kind of yeah, the point there, that he's accepting the offering and the calling that you were given. Ultimately, by faith, that's why Cain was rejected. Yes. Um, Again, yeah. But even still, his – offer was accepted by God because that was his calling. Yep. So we see that God has distributed to all mankind what they are to do, right? You have a very, just, just as you have varying different members of the body of Christ of different giftings, you have various different natural giftings when it comes to work in the world. Yes. Right. And God loves and cherishes these things. So I th- think you fundamentally hit it on the head. No, yeah, that, I, I love you bringing up the cross conference. There, there's this false dichotomy there. You're either sending or going. I mean, that's a good critique of, of modern day evangelicalism. I mean, that's they, they want to make you feel dirty for your work, you know, and that really is just a return to Roman Catholicism, really, and their view of work, right? Um, which is sad. It's really sad because it disenfranchises men that are godly men that love the Lord and are raising their families in the faith that they're, they're doing, they're following God the way God's prescribed to them. They're not denying anything in the faith yet Piper and Platt want to convict you. They want to make you guilty over something you ought not to feel guilty over. And I think the fundamental problem in the Christian West right now is we do not need more street preachers. What we need is more blue collar dads who come home and do family worship with their kids and excel in their job. Yeah. That's what we need. Oftentimes we, we literally flip the kingdom on its head. The kingdom advances most predominantly through the family. Yep. And the family is surrounded and governed by dad. Who's a worker. Exactly. Right. So if dad is the best dang worker that he can be and he comes home and he loves his children, he kisses his wife and he, he prays for his kids and reads them the scriptures. That's acceptable to God. Exactly. But these missionaries who pretty much damn America and they go elsewhere to uh, uh, people who are not their own and seek to share the gospel with them. Oftentimes, that's the biggest piece of idolatry that that they have ever done. Yep. And I think that's a huge issue. Yeah, it very well can be. Um, Yeah, I agreed. It can be. Not Obviously, there's missions is a good godly thing. Exactly. It doesn't have to be. But for a lot of American Christians, it it totally is. It's, oh, America, it's too hard to win my atheistic neighbor. Let me go to try to some spiritual uh, jungle where where at least they they believe in a God and then I can win them. You know, it's this romanticized view of missions. um, And you you do, you abandon your people that that need to hear the gospel. This pagan country we live in now, America, right? Um, we we need we need a good um, view of vocation here, so that people set down roots and bear fruit. You cannot bear fruit if you never set down roots. Um, right. So, yeah. So I think we've hammered that point pretty well. Um, a few other texts to corroborate what we're saying. Um, you got First Corinthians ten thirty one. 
uh, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do it all for the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, the honor of his name, whatever you do. Um, also foundational to this idea of being able to do everything to the glory of God that, again, comes out of the Reformation the the, the um, doctrine of vocation um, is Exodus nineteen six and then and then reiterated in the New Testament in First Peter two nine where we have the priesthood of all believers. We are uh, what what is God fashioning His people to that cling to Him by faith by their father Abraham, um, like sorry like their father Abraham cling to God by faith. Well, He's making us into a royal priesthood. We all are are interceding for the world. We're salt and light in the world through the work and the vocation and the calling we're at as priests with the people that we are acting as priests in. Um, and even on the heels of that first Peter two, nine, I'd love to do a podcast of this eventually, but I'm just going to touch on it real quick is that we're a holy nation. The idea of being a nation within a nation, we're, we're the Christian nation, the kingdom of God within America, the non-Christian nation right now, nation within a nation um, or even Jeremiah 29 stuff, right? Where you, you're a nation within a nation, right? You're setting down roots. God's going to prosper you there. So and, he, and you do that through your work, doing work well. Um, so the priesthood of all believers is fundamental here to this discussion. Anything you want to add there, Bryce? Yeah, and this just fundamentally goes against popery. Like that yeah. is why the Protestants heralded this position is because it is all throughout the scriptures that Catholics were destroying the working man because they were saying that he was less holy than all these people in the monasteries and, and the nunneries. Exactly. But true religion is a religion that is founded and surrounds the family. Yes. That's what true Christianity is. That's what it was in the early church. That's what it was in the Reformation. And that's what it ought to be now. Yep. Is a family found or a religion founded in the family upon working men who love the Lord and serve him in their respective fields. Amen. Yeah. Because God's given us all a position. Yes. We all have our our ranking that we ought to do well in. Yep. And we got to remember here, as we're doing our work, we do it in a godly manner. We, we work according yeah. to God's law. We're not saying that, Oh, do the best you can and cut corners, try to just make as much money. We're not talking about making money here. We're talking about doing a good work. That's pleasing to God by faith. That's what right. we're talking about. Right. Um, and then Matthew five sixteen is another great text for this. In the sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, again, it's on the heels of your, salt and light of the earth, your city set on a hill. And then he says, um, you know, do these good works so that they might glorify your father in heaven. So we need to remember um, just because the Christian doctrine of justification by faith alone doesn't mean that we don't do good works, right? People might criticize Christianity for that. That means you don't have to do good things, right? Um, Christianity is most certainly concerned with your obedience to Christ. And Bryce brought up this morning when he was teaching in Sunday school, your obedience is tied directly to your joy, your, the strength, uh, the joy of the Lord being your strength. If you don't, if you're not obeying God and you're grieving the Holy spirit, you will be grieved within. So if we're going to do these good works, right. Without ever putting them above faith as justifying us, but realizing that they're, they're what are, what justify our faith, right. There, there are faith being worked out. Um, we need to be doing these good works within the, one of the biggest callings on your life, which is going to be the way you provide for your family and make money. You're calling what God has called you to. He's appointed you in this time and this season for the toil under the sun that you have while looking to him and gazing up to him past the sun mm. to the heavenlies. That's good. Yeah. 
Anything there, Bryce? No, that's, that's, that's really solid. Thank you. So uh, we also, Bryce brought up earlier, first Corinthians seven, you, we need to keep that in mind too. Um, Paul's talking about your position and your job, right. In that, in that text, if you're called, if you've been called as a slave, remain as a slave, but earn your freedom if you can. Um, that's, that's an important, again, that's an important text in this. You can, you should go read that uh, to, to think more about this. Um, last, uh, last things I want to bring up, and then we're going to finish up with just a general discussion on the book of Ecclesiastes um, would be Ezra one, five, and then Exodus 28.3. Uh, I'm going to read Exodus 28.3 real quick. Um, this is God commanding the people to make holy garments for the priests. Um, in Exodus here, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of skill. Or that, that word can also be rendered spirit of wisdom, right? So God is enlisting these men that have this like, uh, a very godly attribute of being tailors, right? Being able to make garments. And God is saying, you need to find these men that I've put the spirit of wisdom to make, you know, to tailor garments. Well, um, God is claiming them as his own. These are my people with my skill. I put in them. I think, I think that's really important. The same thing happens in Ezra when they're going to rebuild the temple. Ezra is finding the men that God's appointed to be masons and stone cutters and things like that. Um, yeah, and it's the same thing in Solomon's reign too. He he appoints the carpenters, the masons, to build the temple of God. Yeah, and what we need to realize is it's either in First or Second Peter. I can't exactly remember. We are building up the spiritual kingdom of God. We are setting one one stone upon another as we are building God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And He has appointed each of us in our station to do that in what He's given us. So if we're a carpenter. We ought to be the best carpenter. Rocky is an environmental engineer and he's wanting to uh, start a small business doing permaculture. And what that means for Rocky is he reads a lot on that topic. He wants to know every single minute area in permaculture and environmental engineering and ecology so that he can perform at a better degree than everyone else. That's what he's doing. Right. He's trying to be the most efficient in his trade. So I think oftentimes as Christians, uh, even reformed Christians, sometimes we can get so caught up in reading our systematic theologies that we don't get caught up in being and excelling in the fields that that were appointed. Amen. Because yep. that's the natural means of how God is going to spread his kingdom. Yep. It's through work. It's through family. It's through evangelizing your neighbor. Exactly. It is through street preaching as well. Don't get me wrong. Yep. But we have to prioritize these things. No, that, that's awesome, Bryce. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that's what these early Christian scientists in the 17th century, like Isaac Newton saw himself as uncovering God's secrets in the world. Um, yes. You know, that's like when, if I'm studying permaculture or something, all I'm doing is looking at the way God made the world. Any scientific empirical endeavor that's based on in, induction you're just, you're just looking at the way God, you're just discovering what God made. That's all you're doing. And it still is a spiritual act. If you do it by faith, again, you, right. you, you like you ascend to these facts, the knowledge of the world by fearing the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you're going to truly understand permaculture or ecology or whatever, you have to ascend to it by faith. Um, yeah. And even Bryce in your vocation, you know, like being able to uh, cut wood very precisely as a carpenter to build a home that's well-built. That is a, you know, it's a spiritual act, obviously, um, because it's, it's done by faith and a true understanding of the way God made the world. 
geometry, right? Geometry. Um, right. So, yeah. Um, and that reminds me, if, if any of you have availability, look up Westminster Hall and look up an image of that. And you will find some of the most beautiful carpentry that you've ever seen in your life. And this was done by Christians. Yeah. Like Christians in the medieval period, they just built beautiful things because they were so proficient in their trade. Think about William Shakespeare, one of the greatest uh, man of literature ever. Yeah. And it can be argued that, or I've heard it argued that he may have actually been a Puritan. Yeah. A Christian. Right. Think of John Bunyan, the Pilgrim's Progress. That's one of the greatest works of, of fiction, of allegory. And yeah, it was written by a Christian. Mm-hmm. J.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, Christian, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we, Christians ought to be like these people. We should hone our craft. Christians, yes. Christians should be the kind of people that hone their craft. Um, I guess I'll leave it at that. All right, Bryce, can you finish us up as we, last thought here? Talk a little bit about Ecclesiastes, the ideas we've been conveying um, here at, at um, our church, our local congregation here, what we've been learning there about work and how work can be redeemed and, and why we think it's burdensome. But we ought not to think it's burdensome. Tell me why. Right. So <clears throat> the book of Ecclesiastes is essentially uh, uh, Solomon's memoirs concerning his life that he has built the greatest structures. He's done the most uh, vast things. His kingdom is, an, is a, a vast and ever-expanding kingdom go, going over the face of the globe. And yet all the while, he points out this very fact that everything is futile. It is vanity of vanities, and it's worthless. And this is Solomon as talking in his unregenerate, under-the-sun sort of state. Yet because he's pointing to the cyclical nature of life, right? You die and you leave your inheritance to someone who's just going to spend it all yeah, or use it unwisely, or maybe perhaps use it wisely and then they die and then somebody else ruins it. Yeah. Right. Everything that you build in this world will um, over years of decay will eventually fall down. Right. So he notices these facts and he says, alas, all is vanity with the exception of having a faith-minded worldview, right? So under the sun, everything is only vanity. But above the sun, looking up to the highest of heavens, not everything's vanity because we have purpose in our life because we no longer live in what's called the perpetual now of the present state, but we view time as linear, pointing towards ultimately Christ and his kingdom, Yes, And we see this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is what we read this morning for, for service. It says in 3 verse 12 and onward, I perceive that there is nothing better for them uh, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all, all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Right? So Solomon comes out of his uh, his stupid and his memoir of this nihilistic notion that everything is vain. And he makes this uh, confession that it is God's gift to man, so we ought to take pleasure in our toil. And ultimately, Solomon, who wrote Psalm 127, says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. So that's the point of of Ecclesiastes, is that vanity surrounds every man except for the man of faith. Yes. Because in the Lord, 
we know that our labor is not in vain. Amen. He gives us purpose. We, we eat perhaps the same exact meals as the pagan on a Sunday evening. Yet the only thing that distinguishes us is that we pray beforehand and thank God for it. Yep. Right. So we still live life under the sun. Yet it's by faith for us. So therefore it's not vain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. That's just beautiful. I hope that gives you much, much hope. Don't just look to the days under the sun, but look forward to the days above the sun, right? Uh, above the sun in the highest heavens with Christ seated with him. Um, yeah. So I hope that was encouraging. Thanks Bryce for walking through that at the end there. So this is, this is the doctrine of vocation. We need to reclaim this in Christendom. Okay. In the West, we need to reclaim this. We need to be um, the kind of men and women that hone our craft as Christians. Okay. And whatever, wherever that you might be called, even if you are a housewife, if you are a woman that's called, you need to hone that craft. Okay. The arts of domesticity as a man, whatever your vocation is, whatever your work is, hone that craft to the glory of God by faith. So thanks for listening. Um, you check me out at for the king That's my website. And, um, I have, uh, two social media. I have a gab and a Twitter. So check me out there for, for the king pod. Thanks for listening guys. I always end with a doxology in first Timothy one seventeen to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Soli Deo Gloria. Gloria. Oh, yeah.